Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Edward Assel, and this week I've got a guest co-host because Arthur is judging a sommelier competition. Allegedly yeah, comp- judging. Yeah, right. Competition. Comp- <laughs> competition in St. Louis, allegedly. So today we have a uh, past guest, Joshua Gonzalez, uh, joining us. What's going on, ladies and gents? And we've got a special guest with us today, uh, Don Lee, cocktail legend, the ninja, like... Just, just a guy at the right place at the right time. Renaissance man. Yeah, Renaissance man for sure. Yeah, that's, that's I think, the most important uh, moniker. You should just somehow put that on your business card. I, I think I'm the uh, one of the people who managed to go from uh, like nerd guest to bartender. Usually, like that person who like you know comes in and is always there, always asking questions. They're they're nice, but like they just can't make that transition. I'd like, like to think uh, that I made that transition. So that's the one thing I've got going for It's me. very strange and unique that you did make that transition because very few people that actually do that would have any desire to be on the other side of that bar. Right. Yeah, they just want to like, <laughs> they want to like prod for the information and like do it at home for their friends. But actually getting behind the bar is a totally different story. Well, you know, I, I was working a really terrible just kind of IT job in an office and I was like, I can't do this. Like there, the guy that was in the same size, like cubicle, like veal pen next to me, <sighs> had been working for the company for 35 years. Like we celebrated his 35th anniversary. It was my second year at the company. I was just like, oh, it's I'm, terrible. I'm gonna shoot myself. I can't do that. Like that's insane. And you know, I thought, okay, if I'm gonna die, who do I want to hang out with? I want to hang out with bartenders. Guess I got to be a bartender. It's terrible. <laughs> I did that cubicle <laughs> office life for a while, man, and it was. I you there's no. I mean, I'm sure there is a dollar amount that could get me to go back and do it, but it's pretty fucking high. Yeah, because it's yeah, it's you're, like you said, it's a veal pen. You just sit there and you like have all the little bullshit like office space like stuff pinned up onto your cubicle to remind you of like things that you don't hate. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, and like going to meetings that have no point. It, oh yeah. Like so, you're just someone just schedules calls. a meeting and you have to sit there for two hours and talk about nothing. Talk about the next meeting. Well, <laughs> I feel, I feel sad for some of our uh, fellow people in the industry that work with hotel groups though, man, they go to a lot of meetings. A lot yeah, of meetings. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, before we get too ahead of ourselves, despite having a guest co-host this week, we always start every episode off with the same question. Um, Don, what did you have to drink last night? Uh, last night I was driving. So I had a, a, what is it? I had a martini at the start of dinner and then I drank a whole lot of soda water before driving home. So it was a light night for me, unlike a lot of the other guys in town. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a, that's a smart way to go though. Yeah. A lot of other bar- people in town actually uh, joined you at your bar. Yeah, they were all, a lot of them were down at Thunderbird last night. Uh, so I was out pretty late for me. I think, I think I got home about 2 a.m., which is rare. Now, caveat here, like Josh doesn't drink anymore. I yeah, so I had a drink in like he was a year out late, but you're drinking what, San Pelis? <laughs> I had uh, soda water and some bitters. Nice, yeah. nice. Going hard. Going, going hard. hard. Yeah, a little Ango. <laughs> Two dashes of Ango put me over the edge. Yeah, I didn't have a whole lot, <laughs> hell of a lot either. I had uh, just a one ounce pour of uh, the Four Square 2004, which, I mean, it's not rare for me to finish my night with a glass of rum. But, anyways, getting back to it. Yeah, uh, Don, you, we, you jumped right in, but like, Man, there's so much to talk about, and you know, obviously, we don't have time, and I don't want to just like beat a dead horse. I know you've been interviewed extensively for like Tales of the Cocktail and all that stuff. Obviously, you're worked with Tales of the Cocktail for years, but like, you're kind of one of the OG guys to like bring back some of these uh, cocktails that we're seeing now, just because you happen to be like you said, right place, right time. Which a lot of those threads lead back to like e gullet, <laughs> you yeah, know, and that's that's crazy. Uh, 
I mean, it's, I feel weird being considered one of the OG guys because, you know, I've only been doing this for 10 years, you know, 11 years now. So um, I never, you know, worked in a bar before. My first job bartending, uh, besides doing like, you know, like catering work in a, while I was in college a few times, was uh, when I started doing trails at Death & Company which is unheard of. Uh, and it was like the first year Death & Company was open. So they, uh, they didn't, it was at that time, there was only one bartender working on Sundays and they didn't have enough people to cover shifts yet. So Phil wanted to go to a concert. He asked me to like, you know, fill in for him. Like I did one shift at Death & Co. Um, and my first customer was Dave Wondrich, which is ridiculous, <laughs> uh, who I did not recognize at the time and proceeded That's probably to, lucky you know, that you didn't. Yeah, yeah. definitely lucky I didn't recognize him. And, um, and with Jared Brown, no less, the two of them walked in. Uh, and then I got destroyed at service. And yeah. uh, before they could put me on the schedule, Jim Meehan poached me to open PDT. And uh, yeah, like that was my first like job where I was on the schedule was PDT. And they were like, oh, you know how to do Excel. Okay, you're in charge of the inventory. You're now the bar manager. <laughs> uh, oh, you, you can program the POS. Okay, you're the beverage director now. That's uh, insane. So, so you went from like, so you were, you were geeking out over the cocktails. Yep. At Death & Co. At Death & Co., at Pegu Club before that, at Milk & Honey before that, and yeah. So, so hanging out with like Sasha and Phil Ward. and mm -hmm. Brian and, Miller and Jim Kearns, Jim Meehan, like, you know, Toby Maloney. And this like, is kind of before any of these guys were really any, anybody like that, that was sort of on the radar. Maybe, maybe I mean, Death & Co. And, and, uh, Milk, and Milk & Honey. So Milk & Honey was like a known thing in New York, but it was still like at that point you had to know a secret phone number. And, yeah. You know, it was, it was obnoxious to try to get there. And like, you know, even if you knew the number, you're like, oh, how do I do this? Like, you know, I don't know. I, I'm, I certainly feel self-conscious about calling a secret number and making a reservation. <laughs> right. It felt really weird. Um, but once you go in, it's amazing and everyone there is awesome. Like my, the first real drink I ever had was at Milk and Honey. It was, um, Toby Maloney was, uh, was working the floor and, um, and uh, Sam Ross was, uh, was bartending. And, you know, I had my first like Manhattan and it yeah. blew me away. And like, what? why is this so good? And they're like, bitters. Like, What's bitters? You know, that classic thing that everyone goes through, right? But for me, it was milk and honey back in 2003. Plus, at four, that time, yeah. too, the process was so unique at that, yeah, you know, that, yeah. uh, the way those guys were working, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, when Pegu Club opened, started hanging out there right at the very beginning of that. And it's, I think the real thing that was like uh, truly like a unique experience for me and also for John Darragon, who I was, you know, sitting next to at the bar all those years, it was the fact that as um, Phil Ward, you know, moves from Flatiron to Pegu and starts really upping his game, as Brian Miller starts doing that, as Jim Meehan starts doing that, we were the customers that were sitting in front of them. So we were the ones where they're like, oh, I just started reading Jerry Thomas and here's a weird thing I want to try. I don't know if it's going to be good. Let's try it. What do you think, right? Or I'm working on a drink for the menu. I trust you because you're a regular. Try this thing, right? And so... I got this education unintentionally of seeing Phil Ward become Phil Ward, Jim Meehan become Jim Meehan, right? And Brian Miller, you know, before he was like super tiki man, when he was like Mr. like double Windsor, like, you know, like, you know, <laughs> uh, like arm guarders. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah Funny like, mustache. Yeah. So to see all these guys like develop their own styles, like that was the education that you can't buy, right? Yeah. Or to, yeah. And then, and then to like these guys now have, you know, if you look at, uh, in terms of just like modern classics, like those are the guys that made them all, yep. right? Like yeah. there's really nothing, it kind of all begins and ends with those guys. It's, and you know, again, right place at the right time for those guys too. It's, it's a lot of the things that those guys made and not to take anything away from them. It's just that they were there first. Yeah, they were right? the ones there. Right. And, I mean, how many, how many, 
modern classic Sam Ross have. Yeah. It's like every every one is like you a know, Phil Ward Sam Ross drink. And Phil Ward literally took every single gin drink and then substituted rye and lemon <laughs> yes, instead of lime true, yeah. <laughs> and named it after himself. Right. Like, that is, Last that's, word. Yeah. 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 No, you're totally still right. But I mean, it was definitely a good time for everybody because it was the. Not only were they coming up at the same time, it's like you were frequenting all their bars, which was. I, I now have a new like uh, modus operandi. I'm just going to start hanging out at everybody's bars, and maybe I can get a better gig. You know, I, I think that um, you don't want to. I think those days are done with the internet, man. Bar till <laughs> three in the morning. No, I shit. I don't even want socks wanna... <laughs> covered in citrus and, and uh, simple syrup. Well, it's you know people always ask like, hey, do I, can I do a stage? You know, like you know, like a right. kitchen stage, like you know, stage, and it doesn't work for bartenders. Work. No. You know, like how do you it really do that? doesn't? Like yeah. you can do a guest shift, right? Mm-hmm. You can be a guest bartender, but there's no way to like be in this space and learn how you do something. You know, during service, yeah. The best way to learn is to you know sit at the end of the bar in the corner where you can see down the row, see what everyone's doing, don't get wasted, and just spend a lot of time there. I think you learn a lot more yeah, than just a customer asking a lot of questions. Too, yeah, why are you doing this? But like. Sitting at those bars back in those days definitely was a pretty hard uh, shift in your career, like path. Because I mean, you <laughs> you went from the cubicles to the uh, I, I'm going to like enjoy my nights out after after work, yeah. uh, you know, after my cubicle life, and then being able to get behind the bar. But I mean, hell, now it's when I say Renaissance man, it's like that's not even an apt word. I think you are literally interested in absolutely everything and. That's why I was dying to have you on the show because my brain works in the same way, but I don't know where you find the fucking hours in the day, man, to be as interested in all the things that you are and actually be able to pursue them. Like, I just have all these, like, things that I want to do, but I never get around to. Well, for, for the longest time, it was by neglecting my personal life and, you know, not sleeping, uh, which is bad. <laughs> you, sh- you should try to, you know, have a balanced life, and it's tough, you know, if, especially if you are trying to have that balanced life. You know, for all the times that people, at least younger folks in our industry, that they just go out drinking, stop drinking. You'll have lots of time. You know, you can, <laughs> right, you'll, right. Find, you'll find the time, right? Well, the thing, too, is I, I think there's sometimes that currently that sort of the balanced life, that, that's a thing everybody talks about. We've got to find balance between work and, and family and friends. And, mm-hmm. But also when you're operating at a high level or when you're trying to accomplish the things, all the things that you've accomplished, like there's never really a balance, right? You're always just kind right. of, I'm, I'm focusing on this and something's going to suffer, whether right. it's opening a tiki bar or <laughs> developing a line of, of uh, you know, sort of, of high-end uh, bar tools. Like that's going to be the priority. Well, it's, you know, you got to ch- pick and choose, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, I'm bad at singing, so I've never practiced singing, and therefore I don't go to karaoke, right? That's just the thing. Like, I'll go and have fun listening, but I don't sing, right? And it's I was it's, like, you did hear the plan for tonight, right? right? <laughs> You're going to be yeah. singing tonight. Uh, we'll see how drunk I get. Uh, but then, you know, otherwise, like, I, I enjoy wine, I enjoy beer, but I don't need to know exhaustively about them. So, like... I'm I have like a like level one Cicerone level of understanding, but I'm never going to take it further because I just don't have this brain space for it. You know, I'd rather like memorize like Star Wars characters' names than like different kinds of beer hops. Like, yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah. Choose what you want to be like a nerd about, and then just keep doing it. This is precisely the reason I got a degree in journalism, although I don't use it. Was because I was I wanted to be able to be intensely interested in something for like eight weeks and then put it down and move on to something else that I could be really intensely interested in, but only just like that surface level where... Well, especially from, if you're looking at it from a hospitality perspective, right? Like guests don't want to hear you go into like, (laughs) you know, start talking about the, 
different enzymes and different chemical compounds that are, you know, occurring during fermentation and why rum's tasting funky. Like they don't Some care. guests do. Some do. Some do. <laughs> right? some do. But 90% just kind of want some surface information and a quick right. story so that, and then as a bartender, you sound like you, you have some authority and some on, on the subject matter can talk with some, uh, um, um, you know, with some quality information, give them a quick bit of, of uh, knowledge and then move on to the next guest. Yeah. Whereas, if, you know, if you keep dialing in, dialing in, diving too deep, you're just kind yeah. of lost them. Nobody cares at that point. I mean, I guess we'd be, for those of our listeners out there, because we do have listeners that are in the industry and outside the industry that aren't familiar with Don, and you've definitely, I think, what, there was an article I read recently that said you were like the man behind the curtain. I think that's a really <laughs> apt description, though, because you've not been the guy out there, like, trying to get the attention, trying to be in the magazines. You'll answer questions when asked, but you're not out there like seeking the media stuff. But there's one thing that you, it's like your stairway to heaven, right? That, that Ben's old fashioned yeah. that uh, you'll, you'll never get away from. I know that the whole fat washing technique, which you kind of tweaked and perfected and got down, but you, that didn't come up with the idea, right? Nope. You, you nope. kind of riffed it, improved it and became known for it. Which, I mean, God, I mean... Well, for the longest time, I thought that was going to be what was going to be on my tombstone. I was a little worried about that. <laughs> right. uh, so I said, sure, stay yeah, away to yeah. heaven, man. You'll never get away from it. You know, it, it's weird. Um, for uh, Like, in the last three or four times I was quoted in some article, uh, it's changed. Usually it's like, you know, the creator of the Benton's old fashioned. But uh, lately it's been, a, what is it, like, outspoken social advocate. I'm like, I guess that's an upgrade. I'll, I'll take that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah. awesome. I'm, and... Like me personally, like all the, so you're working with Cocktail Kingdom as well, developing bar tools. And Josh just mentioned that as well. Like, man, there's some real cool stuff that you've been working on. No, I mean, if you look at it from sort of like you know, a, a guy that's been in the game for 10 plus years and thinking about the people that have sort of set the trends or set the standards or pushed things forward. Like you're one of the guys, you know, fat washing, mm -hmm. clarification. Like there's all these, like, I mean, and then working at PDTs, you right. know, like being like a guy that was on the forefront and. And then now with Cocktail Kingdom, and I mean, you've got a new project coming got a new up as project well, coming right? Up yeah. Pretty soon, hopefully this spring, if uh, you know, plus or minus construction time. As a, you know, that's that goes. That'll be plus. <laughs> It'll be plus construction. Plus. <laughs> yeah. I, get, I have the pleasure of uh, being in a, a coaching group with uh, James. Mm -hmm. Tune in. So he was kind of telling me about the, the project you have going on with Masa, and that sounds yeah. really fantastic. Yeah. That's that's mostly Masa's project. And so concurrent to that, there's also another project. Oh, gosh, okay. So Dave Arnold and I are going to be opening a bar soon. Oh. Uh, so that'll be a lot of fun. That sounds oh, gosh, like so it's right up my alley. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're going to love that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Rotovaps. All the science uh, yeah. geek Claire, stuff, all the But, you know, the, uh, the thing is, we don't want to be a science bar. Like, you know, we will do all the science. And if you want to talk about the science, we can talk about the science. But... From a customer perspective, we want to be a bar. And so we want to yeah. be no gimmicks. And when you walk in, it'll look like a bar. There will be a physical bar. There'll be a bartender shaking and stirring drinks, using a jigger. Like, it'll look normal. And then when you taste that drink, you'll be, wow, like, wow, how did you get this intense flavor? Yeah. And if you want, we can go into the science. But, you know. That's so what I think, think it should be. Because yeah, if the, it's, otherwise you just become form over function. Right. You know. Yeah, and it becomes like, uh, you don't become a place that you're going to spend two or three nights a week. Right, right. Yeah. You go there for once a, once a blue moon to check out for what the kind Instagram of cool stuff. experience. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you can post right. on Instagram. And then, again, you know, like, I think the sort of the thing I always tell my bartenders whenever they're wanting to do something that's, you know, a little bit on that sciencey sort of experimental side, who's it for, right? Is it, right. Is it for Instagram? Is it for us to put a cool picture on Instagram? Or is it for the guests? If it's not for the guests, don't worry about it. Right. Uh, the Dave Arnold's motto is uh, he doesn't want to change the way people drink. He just wants to change the way people create ingredients that get used in cocktails, right? So 
we front load all the work before service, and then during service, we just make drinks. Yeah, and that's that, that's the perfect model for something like that. I mean, right? any restaurant bar at the end of the day, it's all about the guests, and it's all about creating a really delicious drink or plate of food. And when it becomes art for the sake of art, you know, then it, you're not really in hospitality anymore. I mean, and that's what yeah. some bars, it, it's become that, and they, you've lost the hospitality part, you uh, know. But, you know, there are great bars that have that hospitality, but also do that. In the same way that fine dining, sure. unless you really are that 1%, you're not eating fine dining four days a week, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a, I it's want the kind of guests who want to come back four nights a week, you know. You, if you want a tourist who is going to look at the Michelin Guide and say, oh, I'm going to hit these three restaurants while I'm in New York and never come back, you, that, there's certainly enough tourists that you can make a business in New York for it. I don't want those people. And, you know, if they want to stop by, great. It's not fun. But I want the local who's yeah. going to spend three nights a week at the bar. That's when your bar becomes like a good time, right? Right when you have the people coming back, the regulars coming back. Your your bartenders are always you know happy to see their friends popping in. Yeah, the friends are always happy to see who's on shift. Um, yeah, yeah, the guy at the other side of the bar drinking, becoming the next Don. Becoming Lee. the next guy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, but I mean, that's the kind of the cool thing that can that can happen when you build those relationships. When you have a, absolutely, a, you know, a business that becomes a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, neighborhood you could, you've helped to push things forward pretty rapidly. I mean, well, everything has happened pretty rapidly in this cold, however you want to phrase it, this cocktail renaissance. You know, that's been happening over the last 20, 25 years, depending on where you put the marker. But I mean, where do you where do you see things going? I mean, obviously, if you and Dave Arnold are going to be doing something, I can see something some boundaries being pushed. Yeah, I, see I mean, there's a, there's a new book on the horizon. And we'll, <laughs> yeah, there is. Uh, there's definitely going to be a new book, but that's going to be a, a ways out. You know, we'll, we need to build up a, a repertoire of recipes before we're ready to like share something. Hopefully, we'll create some new techniques along the way as well. But uh, you know, I think the the thing is, we still need to to build the base of, of people in the industry. And it's the reason why I've been so involved with the Cocktail Apprentice program for the last 10 years. It's you know, the reason why I also left the Cocktail Apprentice program because it's not enough to just build that base. The people at the top need to step aside and let the next generation also step up. You know, we've all had that experience where you're working at a place and you are at the best you could do that thing you're currently doing you won't grow until you do the next thing. And until you make it from, you know, bartender to head bartender, or from head bartender to the manager, or even from like, you know, a bar back to a bartender, you need that next thing before you can really learn. And no matter how much training you get as a bar back, it's not gonna be the same as like being in the weeds, you know, on a Friday night. So in that same way, like when I left the apprentice program, it's not because I don't like them or I don't think they're doing a good job or that, you know, I think that the next person is ready to do it as well as I have been doing it. But if I don't create that space for someone else to come in, you know, they're never going to get that shot. And so we all need to not only like grow the base, but we need to push ourselves forward so that we can create, you know, we're, you know, all of us in at our, where we are in our industries, we can create the next job for ourselves. And when we do that, we can make space for somebody else to take our job and perhaps they'll be able to do it, take it somewhere in a different direction or to a different, you know, height than we were able to. So. Well, I think that's incredibly, incredibly important. Um, because what you're also, you, you limit stagnation, right? Mm-hmm. So at a certain point when you're sitting at a position for X amount of years, uh, whether you're, even if you're still operating at a high level and you haven't sort of burnt out or gotten bored, um, you're sort of, you're not seeing clearly anymore. You're, and uh, when, you, when you move to some, a, a different challenge, you're invigorated, you're feeling that sort of motivation to like, I gotta, I gotta bang this out. But the person that steps up is now coming in with a whole new set of ideas, right. mm-hmm. a whole new set of, uh, a whole new skill set. 
and a whole different network, right? So now you've created like a, a larger base for your business. Absolutely. You've created uh, better ideas, more creativity. Uh, it's just, a, yeah, it's a beautiful way to operate. And I think more people need to sort of understand that, especially older restaurateurs that are still in the business. There's got to be a moment, we see some of these things happening currently locally, where that old style of management, that old style of um, dealing with employees, it's got to go away. Let somebody fresh come in, let somebody um, uh, younger come in and, and, uh, and give, give, give people a chance to grow. Yeah. yeah. If, if you're at that point where you realize that you're not growing anymore, it's already too late. And if you're at that point where you haven't realized it and someone else has to tell you that, it's really too <laughs> late. Right. right. You got to, you know, even when you feel like you could do more, you know, let somebody else do it. You're do you not do, the only do person you, that can do, do that. Do you do that with staff? Do you get to a place with staff where you see somebody that's been with you a couple of years and, and you're in a, they're in a position where like, hey, I think, I think it might be time for you to go? I'm, for within the apprentice program, certainly, there are people that we have to push out of the nest. You know, mm-hmm. you're comfortable here. You know, you do a great job and you being here makes my job easier, but for your career, you need to go on to do something else. And we definitely push people out of the nest, you know. That's so important, man. Yeah, that's great. But it's also like from a, like we're opening this new business, so it'll be a while before we get anywhere near to that point with one of our employees. But we're thinking already like, okay, the top people that are starting with us now I hope that this is the last time that they have to start a new job, like start a new project and not have equity. And whether that means they're starting equity with me or with somebody else, they should be ready, you know, in two or three, if not more years while working with us for that next thing for them to be starting their own project where they're a partner, right? Yeah, because now you set a, you set a, a, a beautiful stepping stone for them where they can do that for somebody else, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's great, yeah. I mean, that's really how the industry needs to sustain itself yeah. because it will become stagnant and then we're going to be right back to where we were in the 80s serving uh, Blue Hawaiians. But instead, it'll just be um, whatever they ripped off of your fat wash. Oh, yeah. man. I've been in- <laughs> Well, you'll just still be getting my ties with Grenadine. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't get me started on them. <laughs> What, what, it was it was beyond grenadine. It was like grenadine. There was grenadine pineapple and there was juice, falernum, falernum, falernum. And I'm like, pineapple I was like, juice what? And I can't. Listen, don't get me going. Those sound like tiki things to me. <laughs> There's tiki there. Uh, yeah. Well. Yeah. Right. We'll just throw a bunch of juice in there. It's the eighties. The eighties uh, beach drink. Yeah, add three rums, some juice, and you know, call and put a put an orchid on it. Uh, oh yeah, the, the wonderful eighties. <laughs> I remember that. Well, we we used to bartend in the like what mid nineties. Our I talk about this all the time with my business partner, Chris. It's like, if somebody would come to the bar and like order an old fashioned or a Manhattan, you're like, God, dick. Like, right? yeah, when like I first started did your grandfather that. teach you this drink? What the fuck? I'm yeah. like, let me get the fucking recipe cards out. <laughs> and it's like, you don't want this other bullshit signature drink that we have that has like nine bottle touches. It's all juice. It's like this terrible pre-mixed stuff. I'm like, and then, you know, of course, you know, we grow up and learn better. And then we're like, Shit, we were fighting against making a three-ingredient drink. Right, yeah. Yeah. What was our problem? Yeah. But, I mean, obviously, we don't want to revisit those days. I, I'm really excited to see where things do move because there's a lot of noise out there now where, like, I think people are trying to take techniques that, like, you've helped to develop and, and, and Dave Arnold and, and a lot of people in the New York scene and San Francisco and Seattle, but, like, kind of running before they walk, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like not knowing that, that those basics and, and before they really start reaching into things. So that I mean, I, that's, I think, always a, a, a danger, you know? I mean, do you feel that at all? Any responsibility when you're putting that stuff out there? Um, it's, I don't feel no responsibility per se, but I, I definitely know what you're talking about. And it's, 
I think the the part of the problem is that people just don't have that really fundamental like understanding of what's happening, and it's kind of like high school level chemistry stuff, right? It's you know why does ice float in my water stuff? Why mm-hmm. do, why does oil and vinegar not mix in salad dressing stuff? If you can understand that, and you understand why that is, then you can you know you can logically reason out all this other stuff. And if you don't do that. You're stuck just doing the motions, and you may make one thing that actually tastes good, but it doesn't actually like inform how to make something new and something for yourself. The other problem is that if you are so stuck on this technique, you want to kind of jam as much together, and even before you have different weird techniques, just ingredient-wise, you know, how many times have you had like a new-ish bartender, and the first drink they put up, you know, to go on a menu has twelve ingredients? Right? <laughs> you know, I've taken every amaro, and it's equal parts. Like, okay, it tastes like cocktail. Tastes like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tastes yeah. like an amaro. <laughs> but it's you know, it's it's instead of trying to make something that is singular, they try to put too much in, and it doesn't work. It loses itself, right? And um, even now, as we're trying to you know, start this new bar and we're developing our first menu, we're working with a lot of like, our core staff to try to get some of their drinks on the menu. And uh, for people that aren't like ex-PDT or ex-Booker and Dax kinds of people, the hardest part is letting go of, of the techniques and letting go of like, all these different ingredients. So we want people to make a, a drink where it's, you, know, you know exactly the one thing they were trying to accomplish there. If you can get people to understand two things, like that's amazing because I've never been able to do that. One thing is so hard, right? <laughs> right yeah. So it's, you know, rather than being like, I'm going to take a fat wash and this other thing and this other thing and, you know, an Amaro yeah. and I'm going to, you know, do this like blender drink. It's like, whoa, slow down. What is the one flavor you're trying to work with here? And is that technique even the best technique? to bring that flavor up, right? So if you're like, hey, I really like the flavor of like limes in Mexico, which are different from limes in the US, and I made this thing that requires three different syrups that have like 12 ingredients each, it's like, why don't we just find the limes from Mexico, <laughs> right? I bet we could probably do <laughs> that, right? It's easier, yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, so like, what is the thing you're trying to accomplish? And distill it down to like that bare minimum thing and try to show that, show that thing off. Yeah, and I think I, I often see that as like probably the, the intent of the drink. It was well intentioned, you know, mm-hmm. but it, you're right. The, the wrong technique was employed, or perhaps or just overthought. I mean, I right. think that's right. what I was going to say. Or it was just overdone. Yeah, mm-hmm. younger bartenders or inexperienced bartenders t- tend to go to is like, like you said, oh, I'm going to do a shrub, and then we're going to do this cool syrup, and then right. I'm going to smoke it, and then we're going to do a fat wash, and I'm going to add egg yolk, and we're going to have a cool cocktail. Well, we see well, that a lot in like, magazines. You know, I, I, I read all these like uh, you know winning competition uh, or drinks that have won competitions or whatnot, and you get that like. Uh, what do they call the sections that uh, the fake editorial sections in magazines that have mm-hmm. been paid for by whatever company, and they print these recipes out, and they're like, "I can't make this at home." I'm like, "They've infused that. They've you know fat washed this. They've made this syrup that they don't include a recipe for." I'm like, by that point, you've like got literally six proprietary ingredients. I'm like, "Okay, cool. Glad you won." Right? But, you know. Well, I mean. I'm surprised that the Benton's Old Fashioned is as popular as it is because it involves this crazy infusion, right? And to do it properly, you need to get this one specific bacon made by a former gym teacher in like Tennessee, (laughs) right? If you're you're not using Alan Benton's bacon, he's not getting here, folks. It's not a Benton's Old Fashioned. Like, you can make an Oscar Mayer Old Fashioned all day, right? But like, it's not a Benton's Old Fashioned. 
Trademark Ed Rudisell <laughs> right there. Sorry, I'm stealing that one. But you know, it's like it's weird to me that that's gotten popular. And you know, when I talk to, to bartenders that are coming to work for me, or like you know, in the apprentice program, or you know, wherever I might meet them, I keep telling them, if you want to be successful, you, you there should be a drink that people know, like oh, that drink, he made that drink, she made that drink, right? And if you don't have that, and it's not to say you can't also be successful, but it's hard to jump to that next level of, you know, like under, like, you know, just people knowing who you are. And to get there, you, the less crazy the ingredients are, the easier yeah. your path will be, yeah. right? Right. The, the penicillin, right? Yeah. That's exactly what I was just thinking of. I mean, and that still, it requires you to have honey syrup and ginger <laughs> and syrup, ginger, yeah. which, you know, a good bar should have, but most bars won't. And, you know, how many times have you been to some bar and they're using, you know, Domaine de Canton, which is yeah. fine as a liqueur, but not the same yeah, as a fresh same ginger thing. syrup, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, There's so many drinks like that, though, So too. many drinks yeah. like that. So, you know, if you could make the next Negroni where it's three bottles, you know, off the shelf with no infusions, that's the dream. Yeah. 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 I mean, look at what, like an American trilogy, too, right? Like yeah. Like you just three, you know, three ingredients and you're good to go some bitters. It'll spread like wildfire. But... That's where it, it, I, do it gets see, a little trickier. Do you see that it becomes more and more difficult to, to accomplish that these days? One, because the never-ending cycle of new menus, right? So you have a new menu of know, four times a year, potentially. Right. Um, bartenders bouncing around so often and uh, new bars opening so often that it becomes difficult for, uh, for a bartender to sort of reach that point. I think that if a drink is really good enough, it will get there eventually, right? It's... It, it's not that, um, it doesn't matter how fleeting it is on a menu. If, it's, if the drink is good enough, you'll still be able to make that drink at the same bar, right? If this was your best seller, you're not going to take it off the menu and never make it again, right? Sure. If it moves so well that all your customers know it and they start asking for it at other bars, eventually they're going to, again, if it's not unreasonable to make, they're going to learn how to make it. Right? And that's how those drinks really spread. Right? It's, I read about this thing, I heard about this thing, I had this thing, can you make it? Right? And if you hear that enough times, you're going to try to make it. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's going to come up with a recipe from, you know, they got from a bartender yeah, in Portland I was just or something. recently listening to, what was it, Bar None, they were talking about the meme replication. Yeah. And it was like it, exactly the same thing, right? Like people were going out and like, hey, can you make this thing? And, and right. it just replicates itself at some point. And, and it can be even something really dumb, like, you know, all the blue drinks that, like, you know, became hot for a second, mm -hmm. right? If enough people keep talking about it and asking about it, it becomes a thing, right? But the, the exact opposite of that, and, you know, and talking about memes and this idea of, like, the viral, if you try to make a viral thing, you will fail. <laughs> you will yeah, fail, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're already done, right? <laughs> and competitions are exactly that. They're trying to crowdsource something viral. And... <laughs> You know, best case scenario, a competition is actually a really long job interview, and if you win, you get a job with the brand. And if you want that, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, working for brands is great. I, you know, I, if you want a 401k, if you want to like, you know, normal hours, great, do that. What are those but, things? Yeah, but if, you, but if you don't want that, if you want to be a bartender, a competition may give you a little bit more press, but it's not really the way. To, to something, it, you know, it is, it's a different thing. It's this manufactured viral, like fake thing. And it, it you know, it, it's works, it works for people to greater or lesser degrees, but it's, it feels weird to me that like, you know, for example, like Bacardi legacy, make a cocktail that will have the legacy of a daiquiri, 
Name <laughs> one drink from the Bacardi Legacy that you know in any yeah, level of competition out, yeah. that you can you can name. Yeah, right. No, nobody can. None. Name any drink out of any competition that's matched up to the yeah. the widespread availability I, I of a daiquiri. Name exactly one. And it's simply because I happened to be a judge for the U.S. competition at the time, and that's Shingo's drink, which eventually he went on to win, but I've never seen it served anywhere. I seem to be the only person that knows about it or cares about it. And it's, he did an old-fashioned riff where he used a PX sherry for the sweetener, and he used matcha as the bitters. Oh, that's dope. And it's so good. It, you know, it's it sounds so awesome. easy, right? It's so simple, but... The only other drink I can think of is Ricky's from uh, World Class like uh, seven years yeah, ago. Yeah, like six, seven years. Tale of Two Cities, which is just a Mai Tai with gin and tequila. Right. It's, that's it. And it's the, it's the simple things yeah, right, that yeah. blow your mind. You're like, yeah. holy shit, why didn't I think of that? Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I'm mad because I should have thought of that first. <laughs> yeah. Damn you. <laughs> Well, I think the direction you've gone with <laughs> the direction you've gone in 50 directions, but like, obviously, like Josh said, in this day and age, we, we've got so much noise out there. They're constantly flipping uh, bar menus. You've got bartenders floating all about. We are now more of a global culture than we have ever been. So and information and cat memes are mm-hmm. at, the, at, the, at our fingertips right here. But you've gone towards like filling in the holes of like missing pieces of barware, like things that we need, but we don't know we need yet. And, but you think about these things and like, that's where I'm always like, God damn it. Why didn't I think of that? You know? <laughs> um, and, and I mean like some of the things that you've done for development with cocktail kingdom, which if, if you're not familiar with cocktail kingdom out there, folks, please get on there. They have some of the coolest stuff you're going to find. I mean, every, you'd be hard pressed to go into any, any self-respecting cocktail bar and not find some stuff from Cocktail Kingdom. But I mean, what are the, some of the things that with them that you've helped to develop? I mean, everything for the first six years, basically. Yeah, right. and, and some of it isn't like, oh, it's a, it's a design that I created, but more like the thousands of prototypes we went through, you know, mm-hmm. in order to make the one good thing. Uh, and to the point where, um, like, the factories we're working with that are actually producing it things, they have already knocked off the thing and sold the lesser version to, like, Russia, <laughs> right, the right. final version makes it to the U.S. Uh, it's yeah. really annoying. With the logo, no less. With the, you know, it's <laughs> like, <laughs> like, why did you knock off the logo? Uh, yeah, but, unnecessary. Yeah, it's uh, you know the the everything from like you know the Corico shakers when we like didn't have good shakers. Uh, we you know to the the, the Japanese style and the German style Dasher bottles that we have there. The various bar spoons. Um, more recently, like the Corico strainer, you know, trying to get a good Hawthorne strainer with a tight spring. Like, you know, why yeah. was it impossible to buy tight springs? That should have been really easy to buy. Right. Again, right. another <laughs> example of like, God damn it, why didn't I think of that? You know, and the dash darts. Yep. The, that were like, dash why? Great, that, yeah. that was, uh, yeah. Well, the first time I saw one, I'm like, why did it take us all this? Why did it take everybody this long to figure out like, hey, you know, we could just make one that screws on the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> well, so that the funny realization there was that um, the, the thread on an Angostura bottle is the same as the cap for a Rittenhouse bottle. Really? Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you take the, the dasher out, it's the same, same cap. So I'm like, wait, how many different kinds of threads are there? And then it turns out there, there's like the one that is the most common. And we're like, oh, well, if you turn this into a dasher, you can put it just on almost anything. any bottle. Yeah. Like, yeah. can you imagine if you could just screw it onto a Rittenhouse bottle? <laughs> like, <laughs> so that was where the idea for that came from. Yeah, no, it's just fantastic. Because, I mean, we definitely have that on all of our bitters bottles. Because, you, I mean, you famously have been the guy that, like, went down the rabbit hole of, like, all right, oh, well, how dashing? much is a dash? And, like... 
And it is frustrating because especially if you have like a big guy like Josh that has to show off the big guns. Boy, I'd never do that. That's <laughs> never happened in the bar. Not a long, not with the long sleeves you got on, but I know you're the Josh. I don't know, this shirt's Josh pretty shake. tight. <laughs> but uh, right, this, this shirt's pretty tight. But I mean, you know, you could get definitely, there's a big difference between somebody like him dashing out of an Angostura bottle than there is me or, or you know, one of or my, my smaller bartenders. pound bartender. Or your 110 yeah. pound bartender, right. So, I mean, being able to like, uh, you know, make that consistent across the board improves our cocktails. It's yeah. just one less variable we have to worry about. Right. Uh, the thing that, uh, uh, that annoys me, though, is when people message me and they're like, what's a bar spoon? There's no such thing as a There's bar no spoon. Bar, no such thing, yeah. The, the, a bar spoon is like, a, it's like one chicken leg. I can balance a whole <laughs> chicken leg on it. Like, you know, like, what is a bar spoon? I, like, if I'm scooping jam, you know, it's yeah, a lot it more. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 If it's sugar, it's less. If it's water, it's even less. Like, you know, there's no point. It's not a unit of measure. Mm -hmm. People yeah. should stop using bar spoons. Yeah, yeah. Teaspoons it's, if you have to. It drives me crazy when I still see that on recipes of bar spoon. I don't even know it means, what kind of spoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it means little, very, very little. Yeah, and especially, yeah. and well, on top of that, when you see like, um, you know, large batching and things like that, and I know definitely between you and, and of course your partner Dave and this new project, I mean like weight is obviously the most accurate way you're going to be able to like make large batch things, but you just don't see that often enough. And I think that comes from the culinary world a lot and the cocktail world, but people at home don't really think about that. And right. hell, it's even easier to do those sorts of things at home because you don't have to worry about like such large uh, scale, like, well, scales, you know, they don't have but, to have uh, the same capacity. The one thing I will say though is scales are great for prep, Never during service. Well, of course yeah, not. No, 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 no. It's a nightmare. No. Just like, don't do it. Hit the brakes. This is going to be a 25-minute drink, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Need to make sure we have exactly one gram. I'd go insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be... 47 stirs, mate. 47 stirs. Well, that was always a thing that every time I was in Booker and Dax that I loved was that, you know, knowing all the processes that were involved behind the cocktails. But when you sit at the bar that was invisible, right? Yep. Like there wasn't any, that wasn't occurring. The best time I had there when I popped in one day, it was uh, kind of early in the evening and there was like a guy training from Denver or something. It was like a second shift, mm -hmm. um, just like banging out great drinks. And you know, the guy that was uh, back there helping him out was, you know, you had that with the, that little like dry erase board with the, right. with the specials on for the day. It was just like chicken scratch. Like I'm trying to read that. This is like a cool bar, right? Like I was expecting the science and I just had like a regular conversation with a guy that was like, nervous about his first shift behind the, behind the stick. Yeah. So that, that, that was like a, 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 I was like, okay, these are just normal guys. It's like literally the magic though, right? Like the magic show is all, all prep. And then on the end, they just yeah, make, yeah, you make absolutely. it look easy. You, yeah. sh you shouldn't notice the trick, yeah, you know? Yeah. You know. Well, and also the, there, there are things we do to make it seem like more like magic in that. So we all know how to make a daiquiri, right? You know, you have limes, you have, you know, whether it's juiced or not, you have like, you know, simple syrup or you have like just sugar on its own, you have rum. You can make it balanced, right? Because we all understand how those things balance. If I'm going to make something new that's a new ingredient, if I can make it similar to either limes, simple syrup or alcohol, I can then plug it in and make it balance like everything else I already know how to balance. So... Like earlier today, like uh, we're here at Bacon here in Indianapolis. Uh, we served a cocktail where we used uh, a strawberry syrup. So it was so delicious. <laughs> you know, the prep is, you know, a little bit more tedious in that, you know, we took frozen strawberries, we blended it, we blended it with an enzyme that helps like break it apart, pectinex, and then we centrifuged it using the spinzol. So we get the pure strawberry juice. 
we check that in a refractometer. You know, you can buy a cheap one for $15 on Amazon. You can buy a, a very nice one that's digital for $120. We, I saw that it was about 5% sugar. So I just added sugar until it got, went to 50% sugar. Now it's one-to-one simple syrup with all the flavor of strawberry. If I just add lime juice and rum, I have a strawberry daiquiri. Yeah. As an ingredient at the bar, a bartender can use that to make a strawberry old-fashioned if they wanted to. They can add that in any place that they could use simple syrup. So if you're going to go so far as to put all this energy into making an ingredient, make it similar to something else that you already understand, and now you can just plug and play everywhere. Yeah, and that becomes a blue, the beauty of the riff on, a, on, on volume when you're uh, you know, talking to guests at the bar and they want, hey, make me something cool. Right. Okay, I can make, not only, okay, we can take that, that daiquiri, strawberry daiquiri, or I can throw some gin in there and I've got a strawberry gimlet, or I can, you know, add some orange curacao and you, now you've got some really cool stuff happening, right? And it seems like from a guest perspective, oh, this bartender's amazing. Right. When it's just kind of a shell game of like, you're playing Mr. Potato Head. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm always telling my staff. I'm like, come on, you know, the, the average consumer doesn't, they don't want to know what we're doing behind the scenes. So the more we can prep for it, the more amazing you look, like the more refined you look, and they don't know how much we're getting accomplished beforehand. Yeah, and if, if you can wrap your head around turning strawberry juice into strawberry simple, turning orange juice into lime juice by adding malic acid to it to have the same acid profile, because every orange juice cocktail out there sucks. Yeah, there's no acidity. Yeah, there's, there's no weight not to enough it. acidity. Yeah, yeah. And so once you turn your, your orange juice into lemon or lime, suddenly it works in every recipe. Right, and the yeah, same you can balance it. Now. You can balance yeah, it now. Yeah, and the, the same problem you have when you when you switch brands of um, agave nectar. Every brand mm-hmm. of agave nectar is a different bricks. Totally different bricks. Yeah. yeah. Right. So if you like in that same way, like uh, pineapple syrup, I hate buying pineapple syrup because every bottle is different. A hundred percent different. Right? Yeah, they're terrible. So if you just make pineapple syrup and make it one to one, now you know life is easy, and especially with pineapple syrup, you know just buy Dole in a can because it tells you how many grams of sugar sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then yeah. you know exactly how much more to add. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, I think that's one of the things that, uh, if I had to critique our, our local, uh, bar scene is the minimal amount of individuals. I think if I had to, you know, when I'm out and about that are really paying attention to syrups, because if you're, if you're making a great, if you have a great syrup program, your, your, your cocktail game is just elevated to a whole new level, um, of flavor lengtheners, right? Just really getting deeper flavors um, and being able to just riff nonstop all night. Yeah. And that's the backbone of Tiki. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, secret syrups. Yeah. <laughs> secret syrups. I mean, yeah. I mean, in just changing the rum out and calling it a totally different uh, drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. The whole Trader Vic style. Like, all right, we're just going to use a Martinique rum on this one. Totally change the drink. Um, I know that you're under a little bit of a time constraint today, but I can't, like, we can't let you wrap up without, before we talk a little bit about um, some of the more forward thinking cocktails that I've, uh, know that you've been involved with, or at least some of your infusions with uh, cannabis. Yeah. Um, so, which I personally have a great interest in as well. <laughs> some of the green dragon. Yeah. Perhaps so, uh, should be elusive. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the, the, the story behind that is uh, I have this friend, and um, she's just kind of a lightweight when it comes to marijuana. And, uh, you know, I would I'd go to California and bring back edibles or whatever, and she would, uh, you know, it would be, I don't feel it, I don't feel it, I don't feel it, and oh my God, I'm going to live under this blanket now. (laughs) I can't move for the next six hours. (laughs) So it's like, how do you make something that, you know, is 
uh, that is consistent, you know, just like making a cocktail. Like, how do I make this consistent so that I can dose a, a specific amount? Right. You know, if you drink enough, you're like, okay, if I'm on an empty stomach, I can have X number of drinks. If I've been eating, you know, then maybe I can take it a couple more, right? You have an idea of how much you can drink. Really hard with edibles. Yeah. So, okay, well, what's, what's, the, uh, what's the problem? Well, first of all, in order to, for edibles to hit you, it has to break down, get into your intestines, and like eventually like get absorbed by your body, eventually gets into your blood, and then eventually gets you know, all over, you know, whether it's the body higher in your head. Like, it just takes time. Okay, well, how do we shortcut that? Well, if you didn't have to digest it, Okay, well, I'm not going to snort it. So <laughs> what's something that goes directly through the stomach lining instead of having to be broken down into smaller pieces into your intestines? Alcohol. Be alcohol. So, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in alcohol now. I already know that that works because I know that, you know, hippies have put, made tinctures. But they, like, put in a mason jar and let it sit for a month. And that's, yeah, that's I don't, terrible. don't have time for that. So it's okay. No, it's very effective. Yeah. So okay, I'm, I'm, I need to extract this, you know, con- with a consistent, with a consistent way, and with a way that's fast. And uh, David just recently come up with his nitrous infusion technique with the, the rapid infusion. And and, sent, and first I was doing it with the nitrous, but I realized that you don't even need the nitrous. What you need is you need the EC canister, because the can is made to withstand lots of pressure. So you just need the pressure. Well, yeah. you just don't want to lose the alcohol. If I, if I put a mason jar in a boiling water, the alcohol would make it out of the cap. Mm-hmm. So by putting in the EC, I'm trapping everything inside. I can take it to 100 degrees you know, Celsius, and then if, you know, not only will it leach out into the alcohol, there's this one extra step called decarboxylization. Yep. I was wondering if you're going to address that. So this is something that I inadvertently learned a summer that I spent in Cairo, uh, where it's incredibly hot outside. And uh, we got a whole bunch of hash, as one does in Egypt, and uh, you know, got tired of smoking it, and we put <laughs> it into really terrible ouzo, which I regret. Uh, that sounds like a but it was, it was the glass highest, of regret. It was the highest <laughs> proof thing we had, and we, we put it in there. This is in college, a lot of bad decisions. And you know, we're like, this is gonna be great. And we drank it and nothing happened. Nothing happened, yeah. Yeah, and so then we like, oh, fuck that. Like threw it in the back of a trunk and like forgot about it for a week. Week later, we're like, oh, forgot about this. Let's see, let's try it one more time. Destroyed. <laughs> like, well, what happened, right? And then when it came back to you know the states, got back on the internet and was like, oh, what, like you know, what happened here? And it was decarboxylization. So there's a carboxyl acid that's attached to THC, and it doesn't. Your body can't, you know, it doesn't react to that version of THC. Uh, it's called the lock and key mechanism. Your body is like a series of locks. Right? And if the right kind of key can fit in the lock, your body has that reaction. Your body already has the receptors for cannabinoids. And you know, when THC is bonded to carboxyl, it doesn't fit in the lock. And once you break that, and the easiest way to break that is heat, smoking, baking, you know, all the normal ways we like you know, do something with, uh, with, with marijuana, it's you know, now your body can suddenly receive it. So by taking it to 100 degrees Celsius, you break that carboxyl acid, and now you're good to go. And by saying, okay, if I, I know what kind of strain this is, you know, or like, you know, the, uh, how potent it is, if I keep buying the same strain, putting in the same amount of alcohol, I now know how, you know, how to dose this. Um, the other weird problem that we ran into, uh, the first time I did this, I made it way too strong. I took it to a, like a party for a bunch of bartenders, and I was like, hey guys, this is really strong. 
go lightly. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know. Uh, the mistake was you're with a bunch of bartenders. I was mistake was, <laughs> I was, mistake, I was specifically with Phil Ward. And I, and, and I put it with, with Mescal. And uh, I was like, maybe like two shots, you know, like keep it under like three ounces maybe, you know, give or take. And uh, he had six and yes. disappeared. Oh, my night. God. And, uh, yeah. Uh, He's never the same again. Never the same again. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we call that now the, the legend of the seven dragons. Uh, much like the seven pulkes, you know. After the seventh pulke, you can see the face of God. Yes. Phil made it to six dragons. <laughs> and then, you know, may or may not have seen the face of God. Didn't quite get there. Yeah, that's why I stay away from infusing alcohol because I, I have a hard time saying no to that second or third cocktail. So I just, I, I stay away. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, obviously decarbing at home is, gets a little uh, aromatic. And uh, so, I mean, I, I know a lot of my friends that will do, um, you know, like a sous vide kind of decarb yep um so, so it keeps the aroma you can do it it just takes longer yeah right uh, so you know it's the the higher the temperature the faster it will happen so if you if you do it at 100 degrees you can do it in about an hour safely uh you know if you can if you can get to 110 which i don't recommend because it's difficult and there's no point in doing it you can do it in about 10 minutes but you know then yeah. you've got to start sous vide with oil because you can get it above 100 right, yeah, celsius yeah, yeah. and don't do that come on don't be in that big of a hurry folks yeah uh, I, I, I did once read that um, <laughs> it was one of those like Q and A interviews with you where it was like, "What's the worst thing you ever drank?" And uh, I, <laughs> do you remember how you answered? Uh, bong water. Yeah. I, pl I plead the fifth. <laughs> no, the, I, the reason I laughed almost to the point Is of it tears. A bong? I think it was a roar. <laughs> <laughs> because I've I done the, the I've done the exact same thing. I've drank bong water. Well, everybody's yeah. done that. Well, yeah. I um, <laughs> God, it was terrible, man. If you're in I, high school and you're an idiot, which no, no, no. Are. So I was um, with this. God, this is probably about a decade ago. I was with uh, my hairdresser, and instead of paying cash for uh, my haircut, I paid her in uh, salvia divinorum. <laughs> As and one does. As, as, as one does. So uh, we, I was like, well, let's go outside. We got to be in nature. We got to do this, you know. And so um, I hit it pretty hard and, you know, go into the whatever dimension I was uh, traveling in at the time. And so I come back, whatever, 10 minutes later, back to my body and no more out-of-body experience. And she's just staring at me. And I was like, what? And she's like, how are you doing? And I was like, fine. She's like, how was your drink? I'm like, well, I have a white Russian right here. Do you think that's what I was drinking? She's like, no, no. She's like, we had to pry the bong out of your hands. You were chugging the oh, bong water. She's like, you wouldn't let it go. You weren't drinking the white Russian. You were drinking the bong water. Oh, God, it was terrible. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from that story. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of lessons. Well, I've also grown up a little bit. I, just, I, I, I pay people with cash now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no bitcoins? <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, unfortunately. Uh, and, well, I mean, I'd be remiss if I don't mention the uh, your your fascination with uh, Jim Henson. And, and, oh, uh, I was uh, waiting for this I, to come I, you, I mean, you had an, right? I'm a huge Jim Henson fan. My whole back is tattooed in, in, in Jim Henson characters. and so um, I've never gone so far as to making any. Yeah, uh, so, the, I, so the story behind that is um, I was really annoyed one day, uh, probably because I was high, uh, that um, all these competitions where like make a YouTube video and whoever gets the most views or whatever or likes wins this cocktail competition. I'm like, that's a dumb thing to do. That is dumb. Uh, and again, it's it's you know people who don't know better who are trying to create a viral thing, right? You know, but like, 
that's not how you do it, right? Uh, and it's bartenders are not social media people, like you know, in the in the like YouTuber way, and so like they, it just creates a whole bunch of bad videos that like are painful to watch. Yeah. Uh, and so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to prove how dumb this is by breaking <laughs> this system. And I can break this system by winning the competition by having the most popular video, but have it be a dumb video. And so I was like, okay, what if I create a Muppet that's like looks like a mixologist, but like Swedish <laughs> chef style just fucks everything up, right? I bet a lot it would get a lot of views. Now the problem is that I then went down the rabbit hole of how do I make Hanson style Muppets and it took me like a year and a half <laughs> yeah, to oh, totally. make this Muppet. <laughs> That's why I never tried to like, go down that rabbit but hole. But like, now I have this like perfect Muppet and, and people have realized that, oh, YouTube videos are not the way to do cocktail competitions. <laughs> they stopped doing it, so. <laughs> but you have a Muppet. So you have a you, Muppet, yeah. <laughs> does it have was, amazing hair? It does have amazing hair. Uh, also has a detachable mustache for you know which degree of like bartender you want to get. Uh, there and you it's, go. It's, you it's, know, like, it's like the guy smiley uh, bartender. Yeah. But uh, you know vest, arm garters, the whole thing. Ah, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible, man. That, no, I'm I'm fascinated with that, and I've got, I've got uh, actually a friend of mine um, who owns uh, Spark in mm -hmm. San Francisco, the dispensary. Um, his family lives here in Indianapolis, and they are puppeteers. And Amazing. so, yeah, it's super cool. Um, so anyhow, well. Not a puppet guy. Yeah. No, 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 not, like not even the there. Muppets, like the Muppet show. I mean, like that I was, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, that wasn't really for kids. You know, I was Yoda. like, I dig Yoda. Frank Oz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Fozzie yeah. the Bear and Miss Piggy. I was going to say, a little Fozzie, a little Miss Piggy. Yeah. Yoda. <laughs> Some of the, you know, Dark Crystal stuff. Oh, man. Did you see the re-release on that? No, oh, no I, I did. I bought my tickets like seven months before. <laughs> like, as soon as they released the announcement, I was like, all right, I'm buying the tickets. Well, if you guys are in New York, um, you know, besides all the bars and restaurants you might go to, if you have like, you know, sometime during the day where you're like trying to get over the hangover or like, you know, need to spend some time between meals, Go to Astoria. It's a little out of the way, but it's totally worth it. The Museum of the Moving Image. They have an entire Jim Henson exhibit from like uh. start to finish. Like, like he won his first Emmy at like 17 or yeah. 18 years old. It's crazy. Oh, really? oh wow. It's yeah. real wild. The um, Chicago Field Museum did, they might have had part of that as like a traveling exhibit up in Chicago a couple years ago. And I went, and yeah, you go, and like they were doing commercials mm -hmm. for like LaToy in for, like for the 50s. Like yeah. a LaToy dragon, right? Before yeah. like... I'll have yeah. to check that out. That um, sounds cool. Rolf the dog was like a, a dog food mascot, like that really? they created. Yeah, so much. Yeah, it's like on the uh, Jim Parr show. Like, yeah, it would. It, it goes pretty far back. I mean, uh -huh. I mean, he hell, he was only in his fifties when he died. Yeah. So everything that he accomplished was done before he was like fifty six. Wow. Fifty five. You know, and besides, like just going and being like, oh my god, it's Big Bird and Cookie Monster. It's also like all the animatronics yeah. for like Dark yeah. Crystal and for like you know all this other stuff. So it's it's cool to see like you know behind the scenes of like how it was all done. Yeah, the technology that they had to like invent, just like, you know, George Lucas had to do that, but like Big Bird where they had had to have put a TV screen inside Big Bird's chest so you, the performer could watch themselves Talking like moving and, and, and uh, interacting because, with I the mean, other, there was other, no other, other, uh, other puppets. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. there was yeah. no other I mean, way around. That was the, the really pioneering thing that Jim Henson did was that he's the first person to combine like closed circuit television with puppetry so the puppeteer could see what they were doing. That's pretty dope. Yeah, brought him out from behind the ledge. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's also weird because it was like reversed. So, because you're, it's like a mirror image. Yeah. So you had to like learn the left and right the opposite way. It's super interesting. It is fast. Yeah. We could, we could do this for a while. <laughs> uh, part two of the podcast. Yeah, right, right. Part two, three, four, and five. In fact, we're no longer shift drink. We're, uh, we're just Jim Henson uh, Productions podcast. wannabes. Um, 
Yeah. Anyways, uh, do you have any social media accounts you want to throw out there for uh, people to follow uh, on your exploits or? I'm no. at Donbert, D-O-N-B-E-R-T. It goes back to when I was working in IT. I felt like Dilbert. Uh, <laughs> my name was Don, so Donbert. Had nothing to do uh, with uh, Bert and Ernie. No, And on the f- f- couple of occasions where Donbert is not me, and usually it's obvious because there's no bar stuff, uh, I've taken the clever handle, not Donbert. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my secret uh, handle. And if you're curious, uh, Don's uh, quaff is legendary. So that would, oh, that would yeah, also yeah, be a yeah. dead giveaway on any social yeah. media. Yeah, um, that, that is legendary hair, man. I'm like, I'm, uh, mine's starting to fade a little I've bit. I've got none left. Yeah, That's right. why I'm in, in hat 95% of the time. Yeah. Well, that's, well you got to cover it, I guess. Yeah, I just shave it. I don't look as good as How the you rock. you shave so. your head, yeah, you're not going to look like the rock. Yeah, it's it's starting to do it on its own, though. You don't, yeah, have, I don't have a lot of time, lot of time left. <laughs> Another year, it's got, I gotta do, I, I'm going to have to do it. Well, uh, you can follow us at shiftdrinkpodcast.com um, or on our website anyway, and you can follow us at shiftdrinkpodcast uh, on Instagram, which is mostly where we have all of our cool photos and all that. So um, definitely uh, find us wherever you listen to your podcast, rate, like subscribe, do all those cool things. Rate, comment, like. And hey, Joshua Gonzalez, guest host. Where can people find you on Instagram? Uh, JJ Gonzalez on uh, Instagram. I don't really do much on anything else. That's about the only thing. And that's uh, Gonzalez with an S. S. Yeah. Not, not yes. like Giuseppe Americanized. Gonzalez. Yeah. No. <laughs> Good old Giuseppe. New Mexican. You're New Mexican. I'm New Mexican. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not old Mexican. Well, the, the family was old Mexican. <laughs> right, but you're the New Mexican. I was a, yeah, 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 yeah. From New Mexico. All right, guys. Hey, this was awesome. Uh, Don, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of the day. My pleasure to be here. I know you've got stuff to do tonight, and I'm actually going to probably head that direction with you guys to enjoy a few uh, beverages. So, because it's Wednesday, why not? Great. All right, guys. Cheers. Cheers.